All right, good morning, everyone. <clears throat> I hope 2023 is going well for you. I'm glad you're here. We're going to go ahead and get started, so why don't we pray? Father, we thank you that we can be here to be encouraged in your word as we do desire to serve you. What a joy and privilege and opportunity that we have um, to serve the true and the living God, the creator of the universe. And we do want to do it in a way that's pleasing to you and your word here gives us um, that encouragement and instruction and exhortation and how we can serve you in a way that's pleasing to you. Because I know that there's a lot out there in church circles that um, a lot of seminars, a lot of uh, classes, a lot of uh, writings on serving you. But Lord, uh, we know that your word gives us uh, guidance and direction and guidance by the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I just pray that today would be edifying and encouraging to everyone and that you would just bless this time that we have together. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So glad you guys are here. You know, it really blesses me that there are those coming out that that want to take this class, the heart of ministry. And I just want to reiterate to you, and I'll probably continue to do this, that serving the Lord is such a great joy. It really is. And I remember not long ago uh, asking Sue, I, I gave a little bit of um, testimony last week and just kind of sharing my heart. But I remember it was uh, last year at one time I asked Sue, I said, what is it that you want to do? And I think she was a little surprised because I haven't asked her that question for 30 years. And I said, what do you want to do? Where do you see us going as in this season of our life? And she said, I just want to keep serving the Lord. I don't want to live for myself. I want to keep doing what we're doing. And it really was an encouragement to me. It really built me up. And I, I know that the Lord spoke to me. And in the book of Genesis, the Lord said to Abraham, listen to your wife. So just listening to her and allowing her to minister to me those things uh, was really a blessing. It's one of those moments that you always have those moments that when you talk to a friend or you talk to your spouse that really sticks into your mind and heart and you remember it for a long time. It's something that I will remember it's just to get me back on track. We're not going to live for ourselves. We're going to continue to live for the Lord and to serve him and, and he will enable us by his grace. So it really is a great joy to serve the Lord. It, it's not easy all the time. Um, it's a good work. It's work, but it's a good work. And it's not always, um, you know, convenient either. But it is something that as we stop and think about it, how we get to serve the true and the living God. Isn't that incredible that he would want to use you and me in furthering the kingdom. So I'm so blessed that you're here and you're encouraged um, in, in the things of the Lord and, and growing in the word of God. And today we're going to talk about preparation for ministry. Uh, last week as we, we looked at God has called us to ministry, I think about Revelation chapter 4. And in that heavenly scene, the 24 elders are there and casting their crowns before the throne. And as they're praising the Lord, they're saying that we were created for your good pleasures. And really, that's what the scripture shows us, that, that we are created to have fellowship with him, to know him. And we were created for his good pleasures. 
Paul would write about that in Ephesians chapter 2, a verse that many of you are familiar with, as he said, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And it really is amazing that the Lord set his love on us even before the world was formed. And he knew us, and he has prepared good works for us. And we are his workmanship as that Greek word poem. It's where we get our word poem. And a poem is something that involves just care and emotion, doesn't it? If you write a poem, uh, heartfelt. That's the way the Lord feels. And, and the sense that you get from that word when we are created for his good pleasures, we are his workmanship created uh, for good works that he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God wants to use you. He wants to use me. And as we discussed last week, we all have a ministry, every single one of us. And we have that ministry in the season that we're in, um, the gifts that he gives to us to be a part of the body of Christ, to edify the body of Christ. But there is also preparation that takes place in the ministry that he has for us. And I think that preparation continues. It isn't like he called me 30 years ago to be a pastor and it's like, great, you're all set, you're ready to go. Go on out and have a great time, Jeff. Um, there's always preparation. There's always preparing. He's growing us and, and just allowing him to do that work. So how is it that the Lord prepares us? I want to go over a few things. Actually, I want to have you turn to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, chapter 8. And by the way, don't let anybody tell you that, like in the Old Testament or the book of Leviticus, I've had several people tell me this, even a couple pastors, you, you don't need to study the book of Leviticus, it's irrelevant. That's, that, uh, don't believe it when people say that, because all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And the whole theme of the book of Leviticus, you have Exodus that speaks of Moses and the call of Moses as he was called to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt to the mountain of God to where uh, there the tabernacle was constructed. All that is spoken of in the book of Exodus. When you go to Leviticus, Leviticus, the whole theme of Leviticus is how the priests were to serve and worship and obey a holy God. And I think that's a good thing for us to learn, isn't it? How to serve and obey and how to worship a holy God. And of course, it was then that as they became a nation that the Lord began to set up the the priesthood and, and the duties of the priest. So you have the sacrifices, the offerings that are spoken of in the first seven chapters of Leviticus. And then we see the Lord preparing the priests, the sons of Aaron that would come on the scene and they would minister there at the tabernacle. And we also see later on, particularly when you get to the book of Numbers, the Levites, the families of the Levites, how they were to come along and assist the priests. But I like chapter eight here because because we have preparation for ministry, then chapter 9 is the presentation of the priests, as they are then 
out and they begin to minister. But I think there's some good principles that are here as we look at this and we can make application even from the Old Testament book of Leviticus as the Lord spoke to Moses in verse 1, if you have your Bibles with you, take Aaron and his sons with him and the garments and the anointing oil, a bowl of as the sin offering, two rams and a basket of unleavened bread and gather all the congregation together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And so Moses, as you go down to verse brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. So number one, you can put down that is very important in the preparation of ministry that we're washed with the water of the word. That's what we know from Ephesians chapter 5, that water, Paul says that husbands, you wash your wives with the water of the word. It was Jesus that would say that to his disciples that you are clean by the words that I've spoken to you. And of course, the psalmist would write about how can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed to the word of God. It's so important that we be one, that we're grounded in the word of God. And that's why I've committed myself, one of the reasons, to teaching the word of God. Just as we went over last week in Ephesians chapter 4, that he gave some to be pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So as I teach over the pulpit, you are being washed with the water of the word, receiving the word as you have your devotions, as you are taking in the word of God. And I get a lot of calls on the radio, um, even this last week, of how is it that I can you know, uh, know what God wants to do? How can I draw closer to him? All these questions that are very similar. And one is that you continue to study the word of God. Have your devotions. It's so important that you do that. And next week, we're going to talk about being spirit-led in ministry uh, because you can do ministry in the flesh. You really can. And you can do it for a little while. But here's the thing. You're going to have to maintain it in the flesh. And it's going to be uh, something that will end up being burdensome and hard and heavy. But if you're spirit-led and you are led by being guided by the Word of God guiding you, and that's one of the things that, that I want to do in my ministry. I want to be led by the Word of God. We have those examples in the Word of God, how to do ministry, how to proceed, how we talk with people counseling people, ministering people in practical ways. Uh, The Word of God guides us in all of those areas, so we need to be grounded in the Word of God. I've known people that just, they want to do these big ministries, or or they want to teach, but they don't want to be students of the Word. And we need to be a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth is what Paul told young Timothy uh, there in First Timothy or Second Timothy, right before Paul would, would end his ministry. He's passing the baton of ministry on to, to Timothy. You be a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So there are those who will, will say to me, well, as I was watching the football game on Saturday night, I just thought, you know, I would just... Let the Lord just, you know, speak through me what it is I'm to say tomorrow. No, there's preparation for that. There's preparation for the ministry that he's called us to do, whatever it might be. So being washed with the water of the word, as the priests here were. And then as you go down to verse 8, then verse 7, that is in verse 8. Then he put the tunic on him and girded him with a sash. 
clothed him with a robe, put the ephod on him, and he girded him with the intricately woven band of the ephod, and with it tied the ephod on him. And he put the breastplate on him, and he put the urim and the thummim in the breastplate. So we begin to to hear about the, the in this chapter the the robes of the high priest. And Exodus gets very very detailed on how the robes were made. We do know that the priestly garments were to be made of linen. They were not to be made of wool. They were to be made of linen. You say, so what? Well, I think there's something that, that's important to consider. They were made of linen because wool would make you sweat. So linen was something that kept the priests cool as they, they wore the, the linen uh, priestly garments. And uh, ministry, listen, is not to be a sweaty kind of thing. And it isn't. We're, we're just sweating and striving. And I know that because I've gone through some years in, in ministry was just striving and sweaty and, and all of this. You know, just to be able to do our ministries in a way that, Lord, that, um, that it's not a sweaty, it's not striving, it's not like I just did a big workout, you know, at the gym or something every single day but of a cool kind of thing is we are clothed with the garments of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And then it's interesting here in verse 8, I'll read it to you again. He put, uh, then he put the breastplate on him and put the urim and the thummim in the breastplate. Uh, the breastplate was just part of the garment of the high priest, and it had 12 stones that represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And what it symbolized is that the high priest had God's people on his heart. And that is such a key in our ministry that we have people on our hearts. You don't do ministry because you're fulfilling some kind of desire that you have in your, you know, in, you know, in your life to be noticed by people or for them to affirm you all the time. Listen, if you do ministry where you need to be affirmed all the time, and we should bless one another. Don't misunderstand me. And build each other up. It'll take just a, just a short time before somebody comes along and tries to wreck you and criticizes you, and puts you down, and says, you know, that, that you should have done this, or I didn't like what you did to this thing, and just sometimes you can feel like you got henpecked to death, and so we do ministry as we know that we have a heart for people. The greatest advice, I think, when I first got uh, ordained as uh, a pastor 30 years ago, I called my brother-in-law up in Idaho, Bob, and he had been a pastor for a number of years. And I said, Bob, you got any advice for me? And he said, you love the people even when they don't love you. And I remember thinking, well, who wouldn't love me, you know? <laughs> I, I found out real quick. <laughs> I was thinking, I'm such a nice guy. Of course everybody's going to like me. And, and the thing is, is that even as I think about Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthian church, he says, the more I love you guys, the less I am loved by you. And he continued to minister to them and love them. Um, and Paul had those who came against him. And at the end of his life, he, he would mention them. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. But Paul was one that loved the saints, and he ministered to them through love. Have people on your heart as we minister to others. That is such a key. And then the Urim and the Thummim. Now, there's a lot of talk about what exactly the Urim and the Thummim was, 
that the high priest had, but it was maybe two stones that some have suggested. Uh, you can do more research on it, more um, looking at it, but perhaps two stones that would bring guidance. And you see David using the Urim and the Thummim um, in the Old Testament for guidance when he went to battle. And it'd be nice, wouldn't it, um, if you had an Urim and a Thummim as you're ministering to others, to your family or to those at work or those who come and ask for counsel, those that you have opportunity to talk to, that they say, I don't know what direction I should go. Should I go in this direction that you could pull out a stone? White stone means yes, black stone means no, whatever it may be. And I know that, that for me, people ask me questions. What do I do, Pastor Jeff? Where do I go from here? And I've learned to know over the years that I don't have to have an answer for them. But I can point them to the one who does have an answer. So we have something better than an erm and a thummim. We have the Holy Spirit of God. And we have the word of God to guide us and direct us and to pray for people. You're not going to have all the answers for everyone. And people ask me all the time things, you know, personal things. Should I go take this job? Should I continue in this relationship? Should I go here? Should I go there? And I tell them, let's go to the Lord and let's ask him. And he will give us a peace that will rule in your heart in Colossians, Paul writes. And that word rule means an umpire, that he'll make the call, that he promises that as we go to him in Isaiah chapter 30 and as we wait on him, that he will speak to us and say, this is the way, walk in it, go to the left and go to the right. He promises to be a voice behind us. There are some times that we can take them to the clear word of God and give them clear answers and instructions, but sometimes it's like, what do I do in this situation? How do I respond? What decision do I make? Should I buy this house? Should I buy this car? Let's go to the Lord, and, and let's, let's ask him, and, and he's going to guide you in that. And then in verse 12, it says that he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. So the oil in the Old Testament is symbolic of the Holy Spirit, and he was anointed with oil. And we're going to talk more about this next week of uh, being spirit-led. Listen, you don't want to do ministry, whatever it might be, in the flesh, as I've already mentioned. And we'll, we'll talk more specifically about it next week. But I pray for the Lord's anointing. That every time that, Lord, I get behind this pulpit, I, I want your anointing. I want it to be a work of the Spirit. I don't want it just to be a fleshly kind of thing. And I have to be real careful, especially in the season that I'm in, because I can just regurgitate stuff. I've, I've done Bible study and taught the Bible for so many years. I can come up here and it can be a work of the Spirit, but I don't want it, or a work of the flesh. I don't want it to. I want it to always be a work of the Spirit and being open to what the Lord would lead me in saying and studying and just allowing him to work through me. But uh, we need to be anointed by the Holy Spirit. We need to move forward in ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. And again, next week we'll talk more about it. I think it's, it's so important because, listen, guys, there is so much stuff out there. I get it every week. Magazines, I get emails, I get you know, brochures, you know, sent to me and all of this have come to this conference and we're going to show you how to do ministry. And you go through the, you know, itinerary of what they're doing and how to use certain words and how to dress and your lights and all of this. I'm not interested in any of that. I really am not. 
And I think about, and you will see this, um, the Jesus Revolution movie is going to come out next month. And I hope you guys go. And when I started going to Calvary Chapel in, you know, 1980, uh, you know, I was catching the end of that, that, that hippie movement and revival and, and Jesus Revolution. I think it's a revival that still continues. I really do. And just hearing the stories from Pastor Chuck, and, and as I was watching the previews to that movie, it, it's like, yeah, I remember Pastor Chuck talking about those things. I remember how he talked about how a hippie showed up at his house and how him and Kay would go down to Newport Beach and pray for them. And, and Kay's the one that really had the heart for them. And Pastor Chuck, his initial thought was, you know, they need to take a bath. He talked about all those things, and that's what you're going to see in the movie uh, on that. But it's just a genuine move of God. And we can focus, and, you know, I talk to the staff a lot about this. Uh, we can focus on the lights and and the building and the dress and use these buzzwords. And I think about Pastor Chuck who loved those kids. And one of the things that they would say is I would listen to Mike McIntosh and Gray Glory and I would listen to, um, you know, Raul Reese and that first generation of pastors that came out of that Jesus movement. They would say, we drove Pastor Chuck crazy. That's why he doesn't have any hair. But he always loved us. He always loved us. And it was a work of the Spirit. And I, I got to spend time with Don McClure for a couple hours last August when I was down in Mexico. And Don McClure is the um, head of the Calvary Chapel Association. He's retiring because he's, I believe, in his upper 70s. He was Chuck's first intern and really spent a lot of time with Chuck, uh, came alongside of Chuck in his ministry. And I got to spend two hours with him alone. And he talked a lot about Chuck. And, and Don was saying, you know, we were in the midst of this revival. We had no idea what was going on. And God was moving, and we just kind of went along with it. And, and it's a powerful thing to, to, to hear about it, um, to see some of it, to hear the testimonies. And here was the middle-aged man behind a wooden box in a tent. And thousands were flooding to hear the word of God. It was a powerful move of God. So sometimes we overemphasize, you know, this and that. And I really believe that in these last days that God wants to move again. And I believe he wants to move in this church. But more we'll talk about it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And we need to remember that. It's not all the buzzwords. It's not all the flash and, and all of those things. We can do things that will enhance the ministry. But it is a work of the Spirit and the, the anointing of the Holy uh, Spirit uh, in our lives. And then in, in verse 23, as you go there, as it talks about a ram that is brought to be sacrificed, and they laid their hands on the head of the ram. And in verse 23, Moses killed it, also took some of, the, of its blood and put it on the tip of Aaron's right ear and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. And then he brought Aaron's son and Moses put some of the blood on the tips of their right ears and on the thumbs of the right hand and on the big toes of their right feet. And Moses sprinkled the blood all around the altars. As we have applied the blood of Jesus Christ to our lives and we are saved 
And now in this process of sanctification, listen. That the Lord, as I think about, they put the blood on the right ear and the thumb of the, the right hand and the big toe. That the Lord, he desires in this sanctification process. As we apply the blood in our lives, being forgiven, and now we can move forward in serving him. To have ears to hear from him. The, the thumb, hands that will serve him. And the big toe, just desiring to walk with him. Three very important things in ministry that you're hearing from the Lord through the word of God as you have your devotions. Just serving people practically with, with your hands. And so the question might be, what is in your hand? What is in your hand? Moses had a staff. He was told to throw it down and it turned to a snake and he was a shepherd. David had a sling, didn't he? He talked about how he killed bears and, and lions when he was a shepherd. We know that it was the fishermen, James and John and Peter and Andrew, they had in their hands nets. When they were called, they were mending their nets, uh, John and, and then Peter and, and Andrew, they were casting their nets. So I can ask you, what is it that's in your hand? Are you gifted in playing an instrument? Are you gifted in using tools to help others and, and to fix things? Are you gifted in, in different areas, uh, making meals for someone? What is it that's in your hand? Maybe it, it is a computer. Some of you guys are so good on computers. I can turn my computer on and I can pull up what I need to pull up, but that is about as far as I go with the computer. I get so confused if it wasn't for the staff and people helping me, I would be totally lost because that's not my thing. What's in your hand? And use it for the glory of God. Some sometimes say, all that's in my hand is dirty laundry and diapers. <laughs> but God gave you those rascals as a ministry that you're in right now to raise them in the ways of the Lord. And how do you know that you're not raising a little Ruth, a little Daniel? Don't think that your labor for the Lord and in the Lord is, is in vain because it's not. So whatever is in your hands, use it for the glory of God. In the right ear, to be hearing from the Lord, hearing the word of God, being directed by the Lord. And in the big toe, make sure that you're walking closely to the Lord. And as you're walking closely to the Lord, he's going to lead you and guide you in every way. And as we see here, and then in verse 28, I want to read it to you. And then Moses took them from their hands and burned them on the altar and burned offerings. And they were consecrated offerings for a sweet aroma that was an offering made by fire to the Lord. Be a sweet aroma to the Lord. It's so important when you minister. You're going to be more effective in ministry, not running over people, you know, not being all bossy, not this is my agenda, but you be a sweet aroma for the Lord in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul writes, For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved. We're the fragrance of Christ when we serve others. 
And it is a witness to others, but can I ask us, this is a question for all of us, what are you smelling like? And if we're serving the Lord and we're smelling like the world and fleshly and sweaty and all of this, we're not going to be effective in that ministry. You're the aroma of Christ. So let others, you know, the fragrance of Christ come from you, the countenance of Christ that is seen on you, in your face, the love of Jesus Christ. And again, it's something that the Lord had to just minister to me and deal with me about. Because when, when I first started ministry, and I was so uptight. I was wound up tighter than a ball of string. And particularly on Sunday mornings. And I was just like and intense and because I was so nervous and I was so scared and trying to figure this out. And I would take, actually, when we were downtown the first five years, um, I would take a walk around the blocks just to try to calm down a little bit. And, and the Lord just, over time, finally is like, relax, okay? And, and people would say, you look intense. You, what's wrong? You, you, you look... You know, like you're down and all of this. And that was a continual thing. And so I asked Sue, I said, why do people say that to me? And she says, because you look down, you look intense. (laughs) 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 Try smiling once in a while. And we all have those seasons where we go through that. And, you know, we can actually minister to others, you know, in in a compassionate way. When we see somebody's down to say, hey, you look down. Can can I pray for you? Anything I can do for you. But it was just this intensity. The fragrance that I was given off was of intensity in all of this. We're the fragrance of Christ. May they see God's love and compassion and peace flowing from us. And then in verses 33 through 36, as we look at the end of the chapter, and you shall go, not go outside the door of the tabernacle for meeting for seven days until... The days of your consecration are ended. For seven days he shall consecrate you. And as he has done this day, so the Lord has commanded to do, to make atonement for you. Therefore you shall stay at the door of the tabernacle of meeting day and night for seven days. And keep the charge of the Lord so that you may not die. For so I have been commanded. So Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. So what they were to do is stay in the tabernacle for seven days, stay in the presence of the Lord for seven days. They were not to come out. And it's very, very important. This may be as we come full circle here. The most important thing, you spend time with the Lord. Spend time with the Lord. And it has been over and over again that the Lord has said to me, I'm not interested in your busyness. I'm interested in you. There's work to be done. There are times that, that hey, I need to, to get this work done. And, and the Lord is directing us in that. Remember Moses when the children of Israel were, you know, there at the Red Sea, mountain ranges on both sides. The Egyptian chariots were about ready to uh, barrel down on them. And, and all of a sudden, the people cry out, Moses, you, you know, we're going to die out here. And Moses stands up and says, see the salvation of the Lord, for no longer you will see the Egyptians any longer. And then somewhere between that, right after that, the Lord says, Moses, why are you crying out to me? You need to get going. And I just picture Moses is going, 
don't fear the Egyptians anymore. See the salvation of the Lord. You know, you'll see them no longer. And then he's hiding behind a rock going, okay, this looks really bad, Lord. <laughs> this is not, how's this going to work? And that's fine. And the Lord said, Moses, why are you crying? You need to get up. You need to get going. And the sea is going to part. I got a way of escape for you. And there's been times, you know, when the Lord is saying, okay, I need you to move forward now. I need you to get going. There have been nights where I said to Sue, I need to go. I need to go minister here or to the hospital or wherever it might be. But don't forget that we need to spend time in the tabernacle, in the presence of the Lord, continually, daily. Spend time with him. And as you spend time with him, he's going to speak to you and guide you. And I can't overemphasize the importance of doing that and having your devotions. Having your devotions every single day. Start your day by reading the Bible and praying to the Lord and seeking Him in everything. So some of these things I, I thought would be a blessing to you from Leviticus chapter 8. And in chapter 9, there's the presentation of the priest. And then chapter 10, where Nabai and Abihu were consumed by fire, because uh, they offer profane fire. We'll talk about that a little bit later in this class. But ministry is, is, is different for everyone. And God will prepare you, and he will prepare you in his timing. You can write this down. It's his timing, not your timing. And in his way, and not your way. And usually in that preparation... He will humble you. He will break you. There's a break-in process that takes place. And I know that's been true for me. I remember early in my ministry, about the second year, third year that we were up here in Greeley, I got asked to go down to Colorado Springs and speak at the Calvary that I came out of. It was fairly large at that time. And I remember thinking, Okay, Lord, I'm going to go down. I'm going to put this Bible study together. and I'm going to really show them that, you know, I wouldn't express this to anybody. It's just what I was thinking in my heart, that I'm going to really show them how smart I am and how I've grown and all of this. And I remember getting up there, and I actually was doing a study out of Leviticus, and I'm teaching, and a guy comes up in a wheelchair, and he stops. And I was teaching about the, the priest, um, that if they were blind, it couldn't be used. If they were lame, you know, they couldn't be used. And I was applying it. If you're not walking with the Lord, if you're not, you know, seeing the things of the Lord, he comes up in a wheelchair and he stops right in front of me and he says, I'm going to make you squirm, Pastor. Where was the security team? I have no idea. And, and I just froze and I, I was thinking, is, is he going to shoot me or what's he going to do? So finally he left and I... It was just rattled after that. And I remember going and talking to him, and I had actually had done about a year before his daughter's wedding, officiated it. And he said, you know, when you were just talking about those things, it just really got to me. And I remember driving home from, and, you know, we had a good talk. And he apologized, and, you know, just it was a, a real learning lesson for me. And I remember driving back to, to Greeley that night, and the Lord spoke to me and said, don't you ever do that again. Don't you ever get up there in your own smarts and thinking that you're going to impress 
Even though you didn't express it, don't you ever do that again. And ever since then, it was one of those learning experiences that I get behind the pulpit. Lord, I want to go up in humility with fear and trembling and just with the heart of, of, of desiring to please you and you lead me and you guide me. So those lessons will come, and, and he'll prepare you in different ways. And over the years, he's prepared me to allow me to do things that, that 20 years ago, I wasn't prepared to do some of the things that I'm even doing today. So it is, it's a continual preparation that he's doing for you and with you and growing you in your ministry. And don't get frustrated, okay? Because he will take his time. That's one thing that I've come to realize is the Lord is not in a big hurry to, to mold you and to shape you. Sometimes things will happen fairly quickly, but I've talked to those who they've been saved for two weeks and they want to start leading Bible studies and, and all these other things. And, and I don't want to crush their excitement, but it's like just take a deep breath, continue to grow, continue to learn, you know, allow the Lord to speak to you and and there is that growing and preparation process. For seven years, the Lord was preparing me to even start ministry. I was there in that little cabin up in Black Forest. He was teaching me how to serve. To serve, you serve Peggy and Ed, the elderly couple, right now. Just serve them. Be faithful to that. You be a man of your word. When you say you're going to do something, you do it. Those were the things that for seven years that I was there... Just the Lord was preparing me. I can look back for that. And then the next step is he prepared me for what he had for me. And he continues to do the same thing. So don't get frustrated. Don't try to rush God. Don't come up with your own agendas and your own timing. Just put all that aside. Because being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion, especially in the day of Christ Jesus. And that verse brings me so much comfort, knowing that he will complete the work. It's his work. He'll complete it. And as David would write that when it comes to the Lord, the Lord says, I will perfect that which concerns me. Moses, you hear a lot about Moses, that God prepared him for 40 years. Really, Moses prepared him for, uh, God prepared Moses for 80 years. First of 40 years, in Pharaoh's palace, where he learned Egypt and grew in the wisdom and knowledge of Egypt, but he became a mighty man. But then can, he would prepare him after 40 years. And he would take Egypt out of Moses. It took 40 years for God to do that, to humble him to where he became the most humble man on the face of the earth. But when he first, you know, left Pharaoh's palace and went out to suffer with his brother in the book of Hebrews tells us it's an amazing thing that Moses did in doing that he didn't want the pleasures of Pharaoh's palace but rather he chose to suffer affliction with his brethren he kills the two Egyptians and the Hebrews you know or he killed he breaks up a fight between um, the two um, Hebrew men after he killed the Egyptian and they said, who made you a judge over us? And sometimes we miss that. It's like, who made you the ruler over us? You think you're such a big shot. And he got scared and he fled. And it took 40 years. 40 years to where Moses stood there and said, Lord, who am I? 
Who am I to lead your people out of Egypt? It was David that ran from Saul for about 13 years in the prime of his life. That the prophet comes, Samuel, and anoints him king. He's the shepherd boy out there. And you're now the king of Israel. But he didn't go to the throne until many, many years later. And during that time, he was pursued by Saul. And it was a difficult time. It was a very hard time. You read about that in 1 Samuel. But the Lord was preparing David to be the best king that Israel ever had. And the sweet psalmist of Israel. He was even working with David when David sinned with Bathsheba. And after that, he went through the difficulties with his family, and it's a discussion for another time. And David never really was the king that he was before that. But he was a better psalmist. He was a greater psalmist because you read those psalms and the brokenness of his heart as he writes them. So there's always that preparation of the Lord. And then you got Paul... You know, Saul of Tarsus, saved on the way to Damascus. He ends up three years in Arabia, and then he is sent off to Tarsus, where he's making tents for seven to ten years, and the Lord was working through him to get him to go to the Gentiles, to be the missionary to the Gentiles. You need to learn to make tents, because he lost his reputation, lost his position, all of that. Everything was lost, except, he says, that I gained for Christ. The knowledge of knowing him. All that was dung, the religiousness, the Pharisee of Pharisees. But he's learning to make tents. So when he would go to Corinth and he would go to Ephesus on those missionary journeys, he supported himself by making tents. So maybe you're feeling like you're making tents right now. Or you're out in the wilderness. Or maybe you feel like you're just in an obscure place, whatever it might be. The Lord is working. Allow him to keep working in your life. But if you come up with an agenda that I'm going to do this and I'm going to bowl ahead with that, don't be surprised if the Lord says you need to take 10 or 40 or 13 days, weeks, and let him do what he wants to do in your life and through your life. And know that the other thing, too, is, and then we'll finish up. The Lord uses those who work. The Bible doesn't have anything positive to say about laziness. So when I say you work, you keep moving forward and growing in the Lord and and taking care of your family, raising your kids. You work hard. But have you ever noticed that when the Lord, a lot of times when he calls somebody, they are, they're moving forward, they're working? I mean, don't sit at home saying, well, I should be in ministry, and those people don't understand me, so I'm just going to sit at home, I'm not going to go to church. And I'm not going to do anything. No, you keep moving forward, keep coming, keep growing, keep learning, have your devotions, keep doing those things. Most of us herding sheep on the backside of the desert when the Lord called him. David was what? Out with the sheep. And I always tell guys that want to go into ministry, in a pastoral ministry, if you want to be a good shepherd, be with the sheep. you got to be with the sheep. You can't hide yourself. 
I've had plenty of guys tell me, I just want to teach God's word. Well, that's great, but it's more than that. It's being with the people. It's being with the sheep. Elijah was behind a a team of oxen when the Lord called him. It was, you know, the fishermen, Andrew and, and Peter and James and John. What were they doing? They were mending nets. They were casting their nets. So keep working. Don't be lazy about it. Keep moving forward. Trust in the Lord. Rest in him. I think a real key for me is I can trust in the Lord, but I don't always rest in him. And that's where I want the Lord just bring me to that place of rest. And I really am resting in being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in us will bring it to completion. Lord, I can just let you do what you want to do. You get the glory. And Lord, I'm just going to take it day by day, step by step, moment by moment. And you're going to see that he's going to open doors. He's going to use you because he wants to use you. And he will do wonderful things in your life. Amen? Okay, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time. We being just encouraged through your word by knowing that you prepared us for a good work. And, and, Lord, we can trust you. We don't have to have our own agendas. We don't have to have our own timelines and all of that. But just day by day, just letting you work in us and through us, a work of the Holy Spirit, anointing us, just growing and being washed with the water of the word, just desiring to hear from you and to serve others practically and walk with you closely. The Lord just know that what a joy it is for us to be involved in ministry, whether it's at home, because all of us have a ministry at the workplace. Ministry takes place all day long, just not in these four walls. But Lord, as we get to serve the body of Christ as well. And I do pray you just bless everyone, and we look forward to being encouraged, knowing that it's a work of the Spirit, and we can just rest in, in what you're doing in our lives. So bless everyone here. I pray that you continue to speak to them and bless their ministries to their family, to their children, to hear to the body of Christ. And Lord, just bless our day, our year here. Because Lord, we are so joyful that you want to use us, that we get to serve the true and the living God. It's important to you. So Lord, we go our way out of this place I pray everyone's built up and encouraged in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, I got a few minutes for if you got any questions or you want prayer or anything, but just pray for me today. I'll be heading up to UNC to do the funeral for the president of UNC, his son, and just pray for your guidance and direction in that. All right? Okay. God bless you guys. Have a great day.